Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 83. It's that time of the week, Thursday morning. As always, brand new episode. Here we are now. Nick, it's been an eventful week. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Well, <laughs> I had, I think I had um, seven or eight minutes to myself the other day. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, but you did manage to uh, get yourself a new toy, though. Yeah, I did. Um, da, da, da. I see, I don't actually know where the line is going to be because we're in different places today. So I'll put it right in front of <laughs> <Yeah>. my face. <laughs> also, of course, for those of for those of you listening to the audio version of this podcast, yeah. have no idea what he's holding <laughs> up right now. <laughs> so I think that's still on the screen. Should be just about. Oh, if it's not, I apologize. Um, yeah, so I upgraded my gimbal um from the ronin s to the what they're calling rs2 um even though they okay. do write ronin s2 on there as well but apparently in the blurbage they're just calling it the rs2 and so what's, what, what was it what was the thinking behind upgrading a gimbal because because your gimbal is actually pretty awesome the ronin s was fantastic loved loved that thing um there's one primary reason well there's two but one is more important than the other by a long way so the mo so one reason was the weight of the ronin s is quite heavy uh, when you got it fully loaded, um, and I knew the Ronin S2 was going to be significantly lighter. But the primary reason is that my C70 doesn't fit on the Ronin S. I can't get it to fit. You might be able to do it with a load of plates and whatnot. I'm not doing that because I'm moving between gimbal to something else on a particular shoe mm -hmm. anyway. So you can't fit the C70 on it. So I always had to use my R6 on it, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but I'd like the option to use the C70. It does fit on the RS2. Mm -hmm. And so that was the biggest reason for, for, for moving. Now, there are a whole host of other pluses that come with it, um, and not namely the weight. I mean, this thing, in comparison, is just feather-light, feather-light. So it's all carbon fiber other than the battery. The battery's smaller but lasts just as long. Um, one of my favorite little features of it is that you can lock the axis, the motors now, with a little switch either side. Absolutely yeah. superb. Why it wasn't on the first one, I have absolutely no idea. Um, other upgrades with it are that it's shorter as well, which is reduced the weight too, which is great. Um, and the you're probably not going to be able to see this, but go, go check out the DJI website um, and have a look at it. Um, the plate that goes uh, on the gimbal has... Uh, is being redesigned so that it, you've got a little wheel that will scroll it forwards and back for kind of fine tuning. Um, so there's grooves on the bottom, there's teeth on the bottom. And then on top of the plate is a um, fixed smaller plate so that you can fix the smaller plate to your camera, the small plate to the bigger plate that's on the gimbal, and then the big plate to the gimbal itself. So that means that you can kind of quick release the camera without messing up any of the balancing so if you want to do oh i want to do right. a quick handheld shot you can quick take take the small plate off do that and stick mm. it back on no balancing lost right, that's, a, that's a massive advantage that's actually huge really yeah um i initially thought that the big plate was the same size as my satchel head plate and it kind of is but it also kind of isn't so yeah. there's a small there's, there's a big enough difference that the satchel plate won't fit on the gimbal and that the gimbal plate does fit on the satchel head, but is loose when it's tightened. Uh. Real shame, but I just need to work out a way to kind of move between them with uh, a degree of ease, and there'll be a way. There'll be a way. Yeah. 
And then the other kind of bit, so I got the combo version. You can get it the gimbal on its own, and then there's a combo, which has um, it comes with a few accessories. Basically, it's got a, it's got the follow focus with it. Um, it's got um, yeah. something called Raven Eye, um, and Raven Eye simply um, will transmit. It will take an HDMI out from your camera. And it will transmit over the, its own Wi-Fi. Um, Wait a minute, to... Raven Eye. I'm pretty sure it's a rock band, though. Is what? I'm pretty sure it's a rock band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be. <laughs> so it transmits it to your phone or tablet, and you can control the camera from that as well. So you could right. actually go and put it static somewhere if you've got it on a jib or something like that. You can use your phone or tablet to actually control the camera, uh, control the gimbal. Some sorry, from there, which is great. It's got 3D tracking built in as well. So if I, on my phone, cool. select you as a subject and I just start walking, even if I just walk straight and not move the gimbal, the gimbal will move and keep you where you were in the frame. That's a nice little touch. I don't know how often I'm actually cool. going to use it, but I probably will. Um, but you do need Raven Eye to do that. So you'd need the so combo the, version. So the whole thing, basically, in a nutshell, it's bigger, it's better, and it's also a lot lighter. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. That sums it up pretty cool. well. Oh, <laughs> and it's got an actual LCD supply, display on the back, so you don't have to use the app anymore if you don't want to. Oh, really? Okay. Winner right there, because that yeah. was the biggest pain in the ass, was having to get your app out. <laughs> oh, yeah. go get my like, little phone out while I'm on the shit. No, it doesn't look good. You know what I want to know, though, is I, I, I want to know. I mean, obviously, uh, we haven't had a chance to, to really road test the thing no. just yet, but I want to know whether it still gets the shakes. <laughs> I've forgotten about the shakes. Yeah. Yeah. So what K means by that is my Ronin S, I don't know whether it's just mine or whether they all do it or or what. If one of the motors was marginally out, even if you've balance tested it, even if you've um, fine tuned it, all of that kind of stuff, if it was too, I'm going to use the wrong phrase here, but if, if it's kind of got too much torque or too tight or whatever that, that, mm. that wording would be, um, it would just out of nowhere just start going and you'd have to you'd basically have to turn the gimbal off and turn it back on yeah it's like a it's like a, a gimbal epileptic fit yeah type of thing yeah very much like that mm. so yeah i mean i i don't know i i don't know if it's going to do that i've i've turned it on three or four times now just to try a couple of things out see how well it balances all of that kind of stuff and it's not happened um, but we will see because I'm going to use it on the sh first shoot tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say we've got we've got a couple of projects coming up, so we'll find out very quickly yeah. <laughs> whether it still does it or not. Honestly, <laughs> as soon as you pick this up, you're going to go, "Wow!" All right? Yeah, that's the reaction. I mean, that's you know, that's I mean, that's the weight is really something to consider because you got to think, you know, you've got the weight of the gimbal, the weight of the camera body, and then uh, the weight of uh, the lens plus any other accessories yeah. you've got attached to the thing. So, uh, and then you know you. You're holding it, at least for some of the time, you're holding it with one arm. And, I've, you know, I always found that with the old um, fly cams, I mean, I still actually have a fly cam upstairs, you know, the whole, do you remember that setup? You basically have, it's like, um, what do you call it? You know, it's like a stick, basically, that's balanced. Mm -hmm. So yep. um, so you've got the camera sitting on top, and then you've got a counterweight Actual um, at the bottom of it. And, you know, you basically, the way it works is, uh, it's self-balancing, but you hold it with one arm and then you maneuver the top with with the other arm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you essentially, you've got all the weight on on one arm. And the way the counterbalance or the, the counterweight works is it basically matches the exact weight of the body plus the lens. Yeah. So if you've got, 
you know, a big lens and a relatively big heavy body on the top, then you've got the same weight again, you know, plus the weight of the, the overall contraption. So it's, it's some considerable, considerable weight on your, on your arm. And I remember like doing a, um, a whole day shoot with this thing at one time and I, you know, my shoulder was hurting. I think I probably tore back muscle <laughs> doing that, but yeah, that was, that was killer. No, it was terrible. Um, yeah, I've used yeah, those I, before. They are, they're not, in short bursts, they're, they're actually all right to use. Um, yeah. But I, I, I always hated setting them up. Couldn't stand <clears> it. Yeah, and it, exactly. And, you know, there are pros and cons um, to both systems, actually, depending on what kind of shot you're doing and yeah. the way you control it. Um, there are some pros to the to the fly cam and there's some serious negative aspects to it. Um, I find especially when you're... Move, when, the, when the subject's moving and you're following and you're moving around the subject, I find it, it's probably easier, but it's maybe just my lack of experience with, with actually gimbals, actually. But I've always found it much easier to actually just use my right hand, you know, to, to twist and yep. turn. Um, and then I could keep it in the center of the screen as I'm moving around it. I've always found it easier to do than using switches and electronic motors, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So... And that, but that was pretty much the only advantage. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember doing those um, those kind of moves with that um, those glycams. The, um, the it's getting to know the gimbal more than anything. Yeah, um, it just works in a different manner to a glide cam, right? And the only other thing, actually, I, I just remember that was pretty straightforward and super easy was you could just flip it over and do like a really close to the ground, you know, heel follow shot, for instance. That's you know? true. Um, and that was just simply you just flip the thing over, you're done, and you know the whole thing the works. So that was the, you know that was an advantage, obviously. That's but. true. I mean, you can do that with gimbal, the gimbals as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's no problem. the The other thing this has got, and I don't know if it comes with the how it actually attaches and all of that, is that you can reattach kind of the handle, if you like, to the back, so that you can hold mm. it kind of in this position if you're doing yeah. those kind of movements rather than having to get down even ah. lower. It's just quite a nice yeah. little touch. Uh, I've cool. not looked at that, though. I've just, I just saw it online before I um, decided. Obviously, I did my research on this long before yeah. purchasing. Um, and I've been looking, well, as you know, I've been looking at getting this since it came out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and decided to, this week was the time for whatever reason, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got bored. Cool. <laughs> so, no, no. It's it ne- needed to be done. And I'm pl- really, See, uh, now I've got it in my hands, I'm very, very pleased. But tomorrow we'll tell. Isn't Black Friday coming up, uh, coming up at the end of the week? Is it the end of this week or next week? I can't remember. End of this, it's this Friday. Yeah, this Friday. So would it be really annoying if you, now that you've bought this, or, you know, a few days before Black Friday, already if looked you could have that. made a massive size? Uh, you've already looked at that, okay. First thing I looked totally at, minor. and 90% of <laughs> shops are, do a Black Friday week. They don't just wait till the day. They just do it all week. Um, and this wasn't on it. Apparently, there's um, there's a severe lack of gadgets available Is that at right? this uh, Black Friday. Yeah, so the uh, so the retailer organization or association has been warning that uh, there may be a maybe a problem mm. because of you know because of like um, supply chain issues and yeah. this and then the other. So this could be interesting. Yeah, sorry, I know on camera that's probably just looked like I've put the the gimbal into you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can just grab it from the other side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so just to give you a quick, so I just look, was looking this up. I just wanted to give you a quick idea of the weight because the weight is the massive selling point here. Um, yeah. The original gimbal 
the R, um, the Ryanair S, was four pounds with the gimbal and the, the, the grip, right? Yeah. This gimbal is um, 2.9 pounds with gimbal and grip. Right. So it's, it's significant. It really makes a difference. Yeah. There, there you go. Awesome. That was quick maths because they separated it out cool. for some reason. Very annoying. But it handles four and a half kilograms, whereas the first one did three and a half. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the load capacity is, yeah, that's another important factor, obviously. So last week we uh, talked a lot about tech. Um, so we thought for this week we're going to change things around a little bit um, because I thought it'd be interesting to talk about some of the photographs that we've taken and some of the photographs that we've come across that really sort of, you know, created a lasting impression for us. And one of the things, before we go into our own shots, um, I came I came up um, against a, not I came, I found some imagery um, of the Hungarian toy photographer, Benedict Lampert. And he's what he was doing. You love this, actually. He is taking toy photographs of Star Wars Lego. Mm-hmm. Okay, but they look amazing. I mean, they basically look like movie posters, right? Uh-huh. But made with Star Wars Lego. And so he tagged Lego in one of his Instagram posts. And then out of the blue, he got an email from the company saying, would you shoot this campaign for us? Wow. Which, you know, is amazing. So now that's what's happening. He's shooting a campaign called, this is how we play um, official Lego campaign. But it's really interesting the way he does it um, because he spends about two days on one shot. Okay. Wow. So he does. So the first day is all about building and you know modeling and basically putting putting stuff together and creating the scene and everything. Doing some test shots. Um, you know, playing around with some uh, post processing techniques and stuff like that. And then on the second day, when he's got everything lined up and everything in place, that's when he actually goes for the actual shot. That's incredible. So it's it's, it's really interesting. Um, I mean, I'm sort of semi fascinated by toy photography anyway. Mm. You know, there was, if you remember, like during lockdown, there were a number of uh, people who did like, yeah. you know, superhero, um, like action figure type shots and stuff like that. Um, but uh, but this one it really takes it to a new level. Plus, you know, I happen to like Star Wars just a bit. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Really? Did you know? Did you not know? <laughs> Where's my lightsaber? S- says, says the man with a, a piece of Lego, Star Wars Lego right behind his head. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That is right. Um, yeah, so that was really interesting. I mean, check you know, check him out. His name is uh, Benedek Lampert. And we'll put it, obviously, we'll put a link in the description. So did he, um, did really... he just start doing this for fun? And then, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, um, you know, I read he got into like, uh, he's been doing it for like four or five years, you know, and obviously it looks like he's a big Star Wars fan. And, uh, and he also um, has been playing with Lego or building Lego ever since he was a kid sort of thing. So it was like a natural thing to do. Um, I don't. I mean, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the Lego store. Weirdly, because my daughter really loves Lego, um, and so you know, I look at these horrendously expensive Lego models. By the way, I mean, some of them are like really you know, like eight hundred quid, like the Millennium Falcon and stuff. Yeah. Like that's incredible. Although that being said, some of those models look phenomenal. How many of those are you, you going to buy? <laughs> Um, actually, well, funnily enough, we've actually been thinking, my wife and I, because we both like friends, and they said they do the the set of friends in Lego. Oh, do they? Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah, I know. It's funny. But, you know, there's cool stuff. I mean, there's, you know, the Ghostbusters mobile. Uh, in fact, they do the Ghostbusters uh, headquarters 
as well. Mm. Stuff like that. So, you mm. know, so interestingly enough, the new uh, Ghostbusters movie has literally just uh, landed in cinemas. Um, I don't know if you, I think I may have told you this, but basically they shot this in a, um, in a place uh, in Canada called Drumheller, which is my wife's birthplace. Um, but it's, it, it um, stands in for a town in the Midwest. Yep. But I'm guessing, you know, for like tax reasons or whatever, they tend to shoot a lot um, in, in and around Calgary, basically. Um, and so, so this town is not what it seems. Cool, man. I'll get, I'll get I'll yeah. watch that. Yeah. And I recognize this. Uh, I saw a trailer, the first trailer that they came out with uh, for this movie, which is like probably about six that? months ago or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, no, I saw it. It was, it, was a, it was a split second. There was a white shot of the town and it's a, there's a, a water tower and they shot it from the back on the front of it. It has drum hella written in like massive letters, obviously, but it was shot from the back. Um, and I look at it and I'm like, wait a second. So I had to rewind and you freeze frame that particular frame. And it's like, yeah, that's drum hella. You recognize the whole town, you know, the, the main street, like there's a, this dinosaur museum, which is literally just out of shot, which, you know, it's yeah. So it was fun. Ah, cool, man. You know, it's funny how the brain works. Like sometimes you see something for literally just a fraction of a second it's enough, and you just it? go, wait a second. I recognize that, you know? So interesting thing. Anyway, for all those Ghostbusters fans out there. <laughs> Are there any left? Yeah, I'm going to go and see it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I probably will. 100%. Cool. Now we're going to start with, um, with your shot, uh, Nick, just, uh, for those of you obviously watching the YouTube version, you will be able to see that uh, image flying in now. Um, if you are listening to the audio version, you know, be reminded that you can actually see the full beauty of these uh, photographically artistic endeavors um, on YouTube. There you go. Anyway, Nick, we'll start with you. And ironically, for this particular photo, not in Technicolor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not even in Technicolor. <laughs> it's black and white. Damn it. <laughs> Yeah, so this is this is a shot I did a, a while ago during a lockdown of the fifty that we had. I forget how many we had now, but yeah, <laughs> um, and I I did it to a keep myself busy, b to just try out something that I a style that I'd not not really done before. So this particular image is it's basically replicating a photo that I saw from Studio Hardcore in Paris, who do. Um, uh, kind of celebrity um, headshots, effectively, nice. and mm. that kind of thing. And they're all in 1920s kind of style, you know, that era. And so it's that, you, you can imagine, the kind, actually, I'm not even going to describe it any more than that. If you're listening on uh, on Apple Podcasts, you need to go to YouTube to go check out the, uh, check out the photo <laughs> itself. There we go. Another little plug for it's, that. It's a, it's a really classic look. I mean, it's, it, uh, is. It, it, it immediately reminded me of, you know, 1920s Hollywood um, headshots of some of, the, you know, some of the great actors. In fact, you know, I remember my dad used to have a photo book. Um, oh, right. Which, in fact, I need to dig up because I'm pretty sure my mom still has it in, in Germany. Mm -hmm. um, which was basically, I just cannot remember the name of it, but it was a particular photographer who used to who used to photograph all of the stars and starlets. Yeah, back in the nineteen twenties and thirties, and uh, you know, immediately when I saw that picture, that was like, oh, okay, that looks exactly That's like that, that style. style. See the interesting. So this is actually um, so the photo that I saw was one of Keanu Reeves in particular, Ooh. for for whatever reason, it's just one that I came across, and you know, he's you know he's he was born in the twenties, right? Well, it's Keanu Reeves, uh, the you know, one of the greatest 1920s screen actors. <laughs> yes, yeah. he was a silent artist. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> we'll start off the silver screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keanu, if you are listening, please get in touch. <laughs> Hi, Keanu. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've seen some videos of the typical kind of lighting set. You can imagine how high-end it, it is right there because this is all they do. Mm. And, you know, I'm doing this with two lights, two speed lights, and they do it with 20 <laughs> Oh really? Lights. Wow. Okay. That that kind of setup. Uh, it varies, obviously, but they and they're very, very, very particular in the way they do it. So I basically took the image and took a couple of speed lights and thought, how am I going to replicate this with what I've already got without having to go get anything new? So mm. looking at it, I decided that I would have a speed light. Um, yeah, we'll get onto kind of the posing and the you know challenges behind that uh, in a second, but. Um, I put a snoot on the one speed light right in front of me. And for those of you who don't know what snoot is, it will it attaches to the front of your um, your speed light. And we now have a cat about to cross into the frame. <laughs> Excuse me, Indy, down you get. Yeah, you can meow all you want. Down you get, thank you. Um, you, you can attach it to the front of your speed light. It might just go, you know, stretch over the top. It might, um, the one I have is magnetic. So you put, uh, mm. you flex a, a piece of piece of rubber over the speed light. It's got magnets inside it and then Snoop will attach to it that way. And you can get other, um, bits and add-ons that can, can go onto that like gels. Um, and you can adjust the length of the snoot, which will change how the light comes out of it. And at the, at the end of the snoot is, you know, a round hole generally, which is, you know, no more than, you know, an inch across, if that. So very small. So it's a very directional light. Um, so I put that on the front and, you know, started taking some shots with, with that and my face looking in the general kind of direction that I wanted to, wanted to look and it started to give me what I wanted. And so then it was a matter of, uh, adjusting the height, um, adjusting the angle, adjusting where I'm looking, um, and then adjusting where my eyes were looking to get it to fill, fill my face and not the rest of my, my body and my hair and so on. And so, I didn't have enough light stands in in the house at the time, so I ended up putting that speed light on. Um, I think it was a piano stool and then a chair on top of that, and then a box as well to get it to the exact height that I wanted. So, yeah, using everything I had to hand, you know, it was very, very. It was, it was surprisingly stable and worked quite well. <laughs> was that was that really easier and quicker than like running down to the garage and getting another stand out? It was for me at the time because I, I pretty much had nothing on in the bottom half of my body. So Ooh, okay, I see. <laughs> one of those pictures. I see, yeah. <laughs> didn't didn't fancy that. Didn't fancy that. Right. Um, but that's what I ended up doing, and it just just worked. Um, I I actually, if I do remember correctly, now I think I had to just raise my ass off the seat ever so slightly to get it perfect. Like I can't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did for one of those shots. Anyway, so once I'd got that positioning. I then, um, uh, so I had my laptop tethered and I had a remote in my hand to take some, uh, to take the shot and to take test shots. Mm. And so, but I had to, it, I tried a few and basically I could never get my head or my eyes back to the same position after reviewing the shot. And so what I did was put the laptop directly in my eye line of where I knew it was about right, took a shot, mm. didn't move my head or my eyes as at all if i could 
and then looked at a shot and then adjusted myself ever so slightly and took another shot until I felt right. And wherever my eyes were looking, I took note of what I was looking at, you know, dead on center. Um, I think it was a specific leaf on a plant that I could see at the time. I thought, right, that's exactly where I need to look to get the, to get the gaze that I wanted. Anyway, so that, that was kind of what I ended up doing. Um, so we had this, uh, I had this one speed light in front of me with the snoot on the front. And then I had a second speed light. You can see there's a bit of a, a hair light going on. It, it's a bit, it's almost a bit more than a hair light. It's more of an accent hair light. Um, it's right. not just separating me from the background. It's actually adding quite a bit of light to my, to my hair there. Um, and that's up on a, on a, on a stand. Um, not, again, another speed light. Didn't have a second snoot. So, but I needed some directional light and zooming in on the, the speed light just wasn't giving me enough. It wasn't focusing the light enough. Mm. So I ended up cutting out a piece of cardboard or something similar and poking a, you know, a decent sized hole in it and putting that over the, over the front to take some shots. Turns out it was actually on quite high power. So I don't recommend taking too many shots because it did start to burn the back ever so slightly. <laughs> it's, I could smell it. Before I saw it, let's put it that way. Um, but it worked. It did the trick. It's the joys of speed lights. Yeah, uh, quite. Quite. Um, to be honest, that was relatively easy to position. I think I only moved it once after my initial positioning and it was just about about right. Yeah. I think I, I'm not sure whether I got lucky or the spread was quite wide. Um, it was wider anyway, and it just kind of worked. A lot of it was actually spreading behind my back and you can't see it. Um, so you only get on kind of what the edge of it. So it's feathered quite nicely. Yeah. Which made it, made it quite, quite simple in that, that respect. Um, and then, uh, I believe I had a reflector actually up over to the opposite side of that hair light. Um, just pushing a little bit (laughs) back in, um, but still keeping the other side of my face, you know, nice and, you know, contrasty and dark there. Yeah. Um, then uh, I guess the only other thing to really mention at this stage is that um, was the clothing. You know, I I went with what Keanu Reeves was wearing in that particular photo to kind of keep it in keep, you know, so it's in keeping. And that was right. kind of a suit jacket with a T-shirt underneath, um, you know, which, you know, not something I would choose personally, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm not cool enough to wear a suit jacket did, and uh, did, you, a did you try some? Uh, did you try some John Wick style moves whilst mm. you were doing that? I haven't got the beard for that. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think I'd need to chop off your hair and attach it to my face to be uh, <laughs> to be like to be like that. A bit more John Wick. Um, yeah, so that, that, that was kind of it. And I was quite intent on making sure that I got the look as close as possible, um, uh, in camera, knowing that I was going to turn it black and white. Oh, oh, that reminds me. So there's one thing to probably mention about the background. I was actually really quite, I was quite close to the background, um, probably, uh, maybe three foot from the background, give or take. Okay in that kind of ballpark but the background i'm using is um is a fabric background and you might think it's a black background or a gray background or something like that once turned to black and white but it's not it was a red one um that i actually used for that um and it just once it turned black and white it was just right it felt good to me so i kept it um you know i'm sure a black would have done done just as well um 
but that's that's what I went with. That's what I went with in the end. I mean, then, you know, for those of for those of you who are who are familiar with the inverse um, square law, as far as lighting is concerned, you can create a black background out of out of anything, even a white background. You can make that black depending on how far away from the from the background mm. you sit, obviously, um, and where you position the light. So, um, so when you did the black and white conversion, because you said it was um, it was a red background, mm-hmm. so did you did you decide? From the outset, that is, this was going to be a black and white shot, or yes. was that something in the editing that you didn't? I, I knew from the start it? this would be black and white for sure. Right. Um, so what I did, what I actually did before I even sat down, was mm-hmm. take some shots of um, the couple of backgrounds to see what it would produce when I converted it to black and white, to make sure right. I it, I kind of got the look I was going for, knowing mm-hmm. give or take where I was going to place those lights, just because I didn't want to have to go and mess around changing the background mm-hmm. afterwards. So I had a little test first. Yeah. Um, and it was, that's why I just stuck with the red one, um, before I then sat down and took a load of proper test yeah. shots. I mean, one of, you know, I mentioned the inverse square law earlier. I mean, one, one of the issues that you can run into, especially when you're, um, taking photos at home, you know, in a home, like in, a, in your living room or in your bedroom or something like that, um, is of course space, you know, in mm-hmm. order for, in order to really make use of the inverse square law to this extent, you have to have a little bit of space between, uh, between you and, the. Uh, and the background, and so, and you know, if you're in a really tiny room, especially in this country, I don't know why. Why are rooms so tiny in this country? I don't know. Don't, I know. Uh, you know, um, then of course you're going to have to uh, counteract that a little bit. And then, of course, you know, the darker your background, the, the easier that'll be, basically. Um, you know, or or of course, if you're working with um, you know constant light, for example, you have a whole the whole different issue. You know, especially if you know you're in a place where you can't. Um, block out sunlight or daylight entirely, then you're going to have to sometimes, you know, work around these things. Um, so, you know, the rules of the inverse square law, albeit the laws of physics, um, they don't necessarily always apply in the same way, depending on what situation you're in. I think that's really important to remember. Um, and, you know, I always say this when you're, you know, if you're using a particular space at home, for example, to take pictures, you know, really familiarize yourself with the space. Um, you know, so you know how, how light reacts in the mm-hmm. space that you're in. So, you know, a good example for that is my home studio, um, you know, that I've got here, which you can't see, but it's literally just over there. Um, it's, you know, it's all painted white. It's a, it's a fairly small room, fairly small camera room, and it's all painted white. Uh, it's got a high ceiling on one side, um, but nevertheless, it's all white. So for me, my issue isn't necessarily, um, you know, <laughs> reflectors. My issue is um, is flags. I need to block light out in order to avoid reaction uh, reflections, you know, because light bounces off of the wall and off of the ceiling and everything else. So that's not again. You don't have the same issues if you're in a different space, like maybe the walls are and the ceilings are painted black, or when you're in a space that's considerably larger than that, where none of that really matters. Um, but in my particular space, I know how light reacts. I know what happens when I use a particular you know, softbox of a particular size. I sort of, you know, I've shot in this space so many times that I know I now gotten the hang of it. And the same, the same thing is, by the way, is true with backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I want to ask you as well about the black and white conversion, how did you convert the whole image uh, from color into black and white? <clears throat> um, so I pretty, I'm pretty confident if it's still, I will go away and check, actually check this if, uh, uh, to be a hundred percent. So, and I'll flash <laughs> yeah. it up if this is incorrect. Um, I'm pretty confident that I just used the 
um, went down the black and white side on it within Lightroom itself, okay. rather than going to convert it um, anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't always do that, um, but yeah. I, I'm pretty confident I did for this one. Um, I will also um, actually do have a couple of black and white LUTs, um, which I, I do use for conversion too, um, yeah. which just look just slightly different, um, ever so slightly yeah. different. And but I'm pretty confident that just in, in this particular instance, that's that's how I ended up going com- to, to uh, how I converted it. Um, I guess well, while we're talking about that, then I guess the only thing there's not much actually to mention from an editing perspective. Didn't do a lot. Um, yeah. I was that intent on trying to get it as close as possible in, in camera. So the only things I've really done um, on this particular image was I've darkened the, I've uh, done some gradient filters on um, and darkened the edges of the image a little bit, just pulled that in. Mm. That's pretty much all that happened there. I don't think I even touched the, the general exposure of the image. Um, I've pulled down the highlights a bit and I've raised the shadows ever so, uh, ever so slightly. Um, again, not a huge amount. It's supposed to be contrasty. It's supposed to be dark, it's supposed to be moody. Apart from that, right on your face. Mm. Um, the only, if I, rem- I did some frequency separation to smooth out the, my, the skin of my, uh, my face a little, um, a little selective sharpening on the eyes, probably on the, some of the nose area, some of the hair, um, mm. and some of the beard. Um, it's probably where I've done that. Um, and actually thinking about it now, I actually think that I did a radial filter on my right shoulder. So the shoulder that's back and oh, yeah. just cranked the exposure a smidge just to bring out the light that was hitting it a little bit more. Cause I don't right. think it was hitting it quite as much as I wanted. Now I f- think about it, I'm pretty confident I did that. Um, other than that, I don't believe I did anything else to it. That that was it. Oh, I I think I yeah I did a little bit of dodging and burning um, on some bits before I brought in the shadows at the um, mm. that, uh, brought in the darkness to the edges, um, and that's mostly on the, the suit. Um, there's some dodging and burning done in my hair um, where it isn't in darkness. Um, I don't believe I did any on my face in the end. Um, and there might be a little bit more just on the beard and just in the under the chin there. Um, that, that was really it. So I, you know, the way I go about dodging and burning there, um, is not, I don't, I do general stuff in Lightroom, but I push then push it out to Photoshop to do the selective sharpening. I push it out to do um, dodging and burning as well with curves um, set to multiply or to screen, which looks ridiculous when it's at full opacity. Um, yeah. But then once I've got it where I want it to be, I then bring the opacities down to zero and then just gradually bring them up a touch until it sits right and it's mm. nice and subtle. Um, and does does what you want dodging and burning to uh, to do. Um, but yeah, that seriously that that was about it. Um, I'll come up with something else in a minute. I've forgotten about, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that 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 was it. So I know we've talked about it for a while, but the reality is there wasn't much editing that really went into this. It was very yeah. very little. Here's a, here's a key question though: Is that on your dating profile? Is it? <laughs> I don't know. Would you want it on there? 
where I know from a reliable source, because I actually have made this mistake um, in the past, a long time ago, in the days of online dating, when you know when I when I was available, <laughs> as they say, um, I actually had um, a bunch of black and white photos um, on my dating profile because I thought, <laughs> oh, they're really arty and you know creative and all the rest of it. Oh no, and, these are creative. Um, well, you know, and then uh, of, you know, then I met my wife. Blah blah blah. You know, we're married now. And then of course, we, at some point, we had we had this sort of conversation. I was like, oh, you know. Um, you know, what did you think of, of, uh, you know, of the photos of my dating profile? And she goes like, they were rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if your profile hadn't been so interesting and, you know, and if it, if it hadn't been for the fact that we really, you know, connected once we started talking to each other, you know, I don't think you would have stood a chance. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. So I've been told from a very reliable source that, uh, that, that, Possibly black and white um, self portraits on your dating profile might not necessarily be the best choice. Quite, I, you know. I can quite believe that it w it will look slightly pretentious. <laughs> I think that's probably that's probably right. Yeah, I mean, you know. Oh yeah, yeah my my dating profile was a uh, yeah. It was it's maybe a little too arty for the the average human. <laughs> <laughs> But then again, you know, I mean, I'm of the age where, you know, like when I was, you know, a freshman, um, you know, you'd go to a bar and meet somebody. I mean, I had no idea, you know, that how this whole online dating thing even works. I mean, how did, what do you, I mean, I, I had no idea, you know. You couldn't sound older right now. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but as I always. I remember, I remember back in the day, you know, <laughs> in the good old times. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you know, it's whatever you get to try it, you know? Yeah. That's it. So, you know, it obviously worked out because I am happily married. So there you go. You know, Ta-da. shebang. But we also know that she's not listening. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, there's, there's, there's that. <laughs> but apparently, apparently, apparently my youngest daughter listened to one of her episodes for the first time ever. She you won. Know, um, last week, my, my youngest daughter listened to, uh, Cara listened to, uh, one of our episodes the other day. Oh, she for did. The first time ever. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And, um, did you she actually her? quite liked it. Yeah. <laughs> it was the Joe Edelman episode she listened to. Excellent. <laughs> Good choice. So, yeah. Good and choice. it wasn't at all boring, apparently. So, you know. <sighs> Thank you, Cara. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to go on my tombstone. <laughs> Here lies I'm not, boring. not at all boring <laughs> if i can manage that and nice <laughs> that'll be it all right cool right man um, let's uh let's have a little look-see at um uh your image uh so sure okay so um the the image i i picked out is actually um a shot that i um that i created uh only like a couple of weeks ago so um and it's it's a it's actually meant for a jazz album cover. So I shot uh, I shot an album cover for this jazz trio. Um, nice. We shot front and back. And, uh, you know, jazz club. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, and the, the, album, uh, the album title is um, Hold My Beer. That's the album title. And it's basically, um, it's an album of a blues jazz blues standards uh what's what's the band called uh the, the band's called the mark herdman trio mm -hmm. so it's 
you know, it's cool. a relatively new, um, new band. They're really good though. I've, I actually had the, um, the opportunity to listen to the whole album, um, you know, whilst we were doing the shoot. And I have to say, it's pretty, pretty kicking. If you're into, into jazz, I mean, this is, you know, mm. I highly recommend it. It's not, it's not out yet. It'll be out soon before Christmas, I guess. But cool. um, definitely worth checking out. The guitarist, incidentally, on it is excellent. Really? Yeah, and I rarely say that about the recording of the guitar. That's not me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, it's really, I mean, it's killer, man. It's, it really is. Uh, you like it, it's killer album. It's just trio, you know. Um, it's uh, drums, keys, guitar. That's it. Perfect. Love yeah. that. So, um, so yeah, we shot this, um, we shot this album cover, uh, it's actually the original, the creative brief was actually different, um, originally. And, uh, we had, you know, we had a venue and, um, we had sort of small crew and everything else, but for uh, one reason or another, uh, this didn't, it didn't work out. So we had to come up with a different idea, um, with that. So, um, so this was actually shot in my studio here, um, it's a relatively, a relatively straightforward shot, although it was interesting. And I quite like, you know, as you know, I like the whole, you know, building sets and fiddling around with stuff mm. uh, kind mm. of thing, you know, the, the making process of it. And so what's happening here is, uh, is one, uh, you know, I wanted to create a sense of movement, um, almost like somebody's rushing to the stage, you know, like the band's going on, the drummer's just having a drink at the bar and... It's call time, basically, and he's going to rush off to the stage sort of a thing, you know, um, drumsticks in hand, you know, holding that beer. You know, yeah, I mean, we, we've, us musicians, we've experienced that situation so many times. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and so the the way I thought uh, I could I could sort of depict, you know, the movement was by just um, creating this sort of movement in the jacket. Um, and because I don't actually own industrial wind machines um <laughs> you know i kind of thought i'll just uh, i'll just attach his jacket to some uh fishing line mm -hmm. and then i attached the fishing line to a light stand and then uh, in fact that worked really well it gave me like flexibility you know because i could um i could move the, the light stand back and forth and so create more more or less tension in the fishing line and so i could um increase or decrease the amount of flappiness in the in the jacket so it you know any advancement on the word flappiness? Yes. <laughs> I flap, you flap, he flaps. Everybody flap, flap. Let's all get flapped. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, so that was it. It was pretty straightforward. Um, Let's the, talk about the bottle, man. Right, okay. Um, okay, so the bottle... Um, so the bottle is actually a Grolsch bottle. And I've, I found this sort of in the, you know, in the run-up to the shoot, obviously I was looking at different beer bottles. And I wanted to find something that's, um, that I liked predominantly. And, um, and I found this Grolsch bottle and I liked it for two reasons. First of all, the, the shape was kind of cool. It's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, it has this, I don't know what you call it. You know, the, the flip opening thing. Yeah. Like it's like the stopper. I... Yeah. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, you flip it open basically, which is kind of cool. Got the old, um, um rubber rings on it that you use to keep your guitar strap on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I still do incidentally. Um, but, um, yeah. And so the bottle, I liked the bottle. The only problem with the bottle was that, um, it had, um, so as part of the, uh, this, this, uh, there's a huge Grolsch logo on the side of the bottle. That's mm. kind of part of the glass, if you know what I mean? Um, so it's molded, you know, into that. 
Um, so that needed to disappear, clearly. Um, and and the other thing is that the uh, the Grolsch logo is actually red. And so the rubber rings are, are red as well. But because this is predominantly a blues album, what what um, the what the artist who also was the art director, if you want, uh, wanted wanted to do is really to change all of that into blue and actually change the brand of the beer to blue, since all the songs are blues tunes, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that was a relatively easy thing to do um, in Photoshop. Um, the reason I the reason I mention that is is because on the back cover, there's a very simple image of the the bottle on its own, and um, the reason for that is because on the back cover usually you have a lot of text. You know, you have the uh, the track listing, and you have you know all sorts of other additional information, um, and you need to have a lot of negative space for all of that text to fit. So again, here art direction is really critical, and of course, when you're when you're conducting a shoot like this, it's it's really important to know all of that and to clarify all of that beforehand, because you might as well shoot things the way they are going to be used on the yeah. album later, rather than yeah. you know having to fuff, fuff around. Um, and so, you know, any good beer bottle I think that I've ever seen, any any photo of a, or advertising uh, image or something of a beer bottle that I've ever seen has you know, it looks like it's come straight out of the freezer, basically. So you have a lot of condensation on the outside and, you know, little bits of uh, of condensation running down and stuff like that. So it was, you know, it's really quite important to kind of give it that that fresh, straight out of the fridge look. Um, and of course, as you can possibly imagine, I mean, for those of you who have done some um, product photography before, you'll probably know this, but, you know, if you haven't, um, it isn't real condensation because obviously if you, if you did grab a, a bottle straight out of the fridge, straight out of the freezer, and you set it up, you know, by the time you come around actually shooting it, by the time yeah. it's lit and everything else, that condensation is gone. Yeah. So yeah. a really good way to fix that is to use uh, equal parts of water and glycerin. So, you know, glycerin is the kind of, you can get it at a, at a bakery supply store or at a supermarket in the bakery aisle. Um, and, um, you know, you mix it with water, put in a spray bottle, spray on, Pops your uncle, um, and it's and, great. I mean, it's, it's, and Robert is your father's brother. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's it works really well. It's it's kind of sticky, but it sets. And so, um, you know, you you prep the bottle beforehand, and then you can shoot that uh, to your heart's content for hours. It'll it won't change. How did you apply it to the bottle? Um, you just put it in a little spray bottle. You spray it. So I just have a little. Yeah, I just have a little spray bottle, which um, used to be I don't know. I think, I don't know, you, you know, you can get a little spray bottles. Yeah, yeah. You used yeah. to have like perfume in or whatever it was. Um, yeah, just spray on. It, it's really super easy, um, super easy process. Uh, you can play around a little bit with distances and you can create different size mm -hmm. sort of bubbles on it and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, if you're not happy, you can just wash it off. It washes off with water. It's, it's nice. No, no big deal. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, and it just creates that, um, you know, that that sense of freshness. You know, um, yeah, and that was, uh, that was from a technical point of view, that was, was, that was pretty much it. Was, uh, was this a single light <laughs> setup? Yeah. So the lighting in this, uh, was by, by, uh, by design really simple. So the yeah. idea was really, you know, to create that, um, almost like semi-dark, uh, you know, jazz club atmosphere a little bit. 
And um, so I just used uh, one single softbox. It was, I think, the smallest softbox I have. Um, and it really, you know, it was, it was actually it's very close to the subject. Um, and what happens there is you get uh, some quick light fall off. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. you know, we mentioned the uh, the inverse square law earlier. So basically, if you place your light source really, really close um, to your subject, then the immediate fall off is actually relatively quick. Mm. So, um, um, so that's the um, idea. So, but, you know, if you look at the hand, for example, you can see the front of the hand is lit, and the front of the bottle is lit. But as soon as we get to the back of the hand or the or the sleeve of the jacket, that's already pretty much in in darkness. And of course, what that means also from a posing perspective is that you've got to pose your subject um, in a way that um, you get the torso in and the torso is lit and, you know, and you basically everything else, like the drumsticks and the, the bottle in the hand have to be very much on the same plane as the torso. Mm-hmm. And although it doesn't really look like that in the image, that's really just clever positioning of, of all these things. If you had seen him holding that bottle and holding drumsticks, in real life, it would have looked totally unnatural, right? Because we right. don't hold things close to the body. But of course, what you know, if you think about what's happening in the photograph, always is we, we're taking the three-dimensional world and we're compressing it into two dimensions. Mm-hmm. And so, so really, here it's just an illusion that that the hand with the bottle is much further um, in front of the body when it's when it's really not. So, but that's really got to do with you know making sure that the light hits exactly what you want it to hit and. And all the rest of it. So it's you know you very often have to just adjust things like that, um, and then really just look through the viewfinder and actually, you know, see whether what you're seeing through the viewfinder corresponds with the ideas you have. Yeah, in your head and, well, and, and where room. where was that soft box? Where did you position that light? I'm 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 guessing it's, it's difficult to tell um, for sure, but I'm guessing it's just off to left of camera, maybe maybe head height, just maybe slightly higher, angled down towards the body? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, really simple. Exactly. Very simple setup. Um, it was slightly feathered, obviously. Sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, actually, in fact, it, um, I remember it was actually quite, it was quite, it was feathered quite a bit. Okay. So really what we're just getting here is at the edge of the light. Um, so by and large, the software, uh, the light, you know, it was shooting past, the actual subject. So it wasn't really angled uh, in a minute yeah. of 45 and 45. Um, it was feathered a lot more than that. But um, again, it just allows you to really create, you know, that, that sort of three-dimensionality. And I like these um, contrasty fall-offs. You know, it's just um, something that, yeah, I, too. that I dig, especially on dark backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Although, I mean, you, you can't really see much of the background here because obviously we're really just seeing the torso. Um, but that was, you, that was the idea. Do you recall what focal length you were at for this? I'm just, the reason I ask is I'm just interested mm. to, as to whether that affected how, you, you know, you were talking about how close the, um, the hands, the bottles and the bottle and the drumsticks needed <coughs> to be to the body to make it look right. I'm just yeah. interested to know how the focal length affected where, where you position those. Yeah, I mean, if typically, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're when you're working with, you know, a very specific depth of field, then yes, that would be an issue. Um, I think, to be honest, I think I was probably at about f eight in this one. Okay. So no, you know, nothing, nothing particularly shallow or anything. Yeah. Um, 
but the consideration as far as the posing was concerned is predominantly down to the lighting. Mm-hmm. So this is this is a lighting decision rather than um I didn't really want to have um a lot of fall off as far as depth of field is concerned. Yeah. Um I just thought it'd be more interesting to actually let the light do that rather than you know, rather than going going down the like shallow depth of field route where you have. But then it gets really quite complicated because nevertheless, if you think about it, you know, if you're holding a bottle in front of you, you know, from uh, from your knuckles all the way, you know, back to your to your shoulder. And he's also angled a little bit. So really it's like the whole width of the shoulder. That's at the distance that you are from the subject. That's that's quite a lot of depth of field that you need to cover there. You know, it's still so... If you're going in with something like, I don't know, you know, 3.5 or like 2.8 or something like that, forget about it. That's not really yeah. going to work. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, yeah, and I think, I actually can't remember which focal uh, focal length I used. Um, no idea. <coughs> Maybe cool. either the 50 or the 85. That would be my, my go-to. Cool, man. Like Probably 85 actually on this. And... Obviously, um, you know, we touched on editing, um, changing the color of the rubber stopper on the top from red to red to blue, um, which has even been caught in the reflection in the bottle as well, which is awesome. Um, what was there any other editing that you really, really did in this? Um, or is this pretty much as is, if you know what I mean? Well, there's a little bit of post-production on this. Um, the, the color change is is probably the biggest, mm-hmm. you know, part of it. Although, you know, again, in Photoshop, if you're, you know, if you're working with uh, the use saturation layer and and uh, and a mask, you can literally do that in under two minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the way you know Photoshop works, especially the use saturation method works, is you essentially you have two sliders. You pick the color you want to change. Um, and then you have another slider that basically determines what your your target color is. So let's say you want to change red. So you basically, um, you know, use, use red, uh, you know, you pick red and then you move that to blue and then all the reds change to blue. Very simple. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it will do that to any red in the image. And so all you could do then is actually just use a mask to limit that change to whichever bit of the photograph you want to actually mm-hmm. change, you know, if that makes sense. So um, again, it's not it's not a terribly difficult method. I think we, we talked about this in the past. I'm pretty sure we've made a video about this in the past as well <laughs> at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, um, so that part was easy. Um, other than that, you know, there's a, um, there's a little bit of, of um, frequency separation going on on the shirt. Um, and that's really just to soften some of the creases in the shirt. Yeah. Um, so the idea here was not really to get rid of, all, of any of the creases or make, make it like super smooth because that doesn't really look realistic at all. Um, but because of the way different, different fabrics um, react to light, you know, sometimes you just have to smoothen things out just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And totally. so that's really what's... Um, what's been going on here. And, and in fact, the big creases in it, I've accentuated through dodging and burning later on. Um, so it was really just a matter of just, you know, smoothing out some of the, the smaller creases and then really just going in and giving mm-hmm. it some shape uh, with some dodging and burning. I think that's, oh. you know, that's pretty much it. Um, 
That's awesome. On that. I love it. Um, oh, do, just out of interest, was this the crop in camera or has this been, did you shoot ever so slightly wider to begin with? Just curious. Um, so, I mean, you know, if obviously it's um, the, the end image is square. Yeah. Because it's an album cover. So, of course, it was shot slightly wider. Um, it was it was actually shot landscape, but basically, oh, yeah, of course, it's square, yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, you know, as far as the, the the top and the bottom of the shot is concerned, that's pretty much as is. I think there isn't much cropping going on at all. Um, the idea was always to um, to hone in on the torso and basically just you know mm. get maybe a hint of neck depending on where the color of the, the, the shirt was going to be, or maybe even a little bit of the lower part of the chin, you know? So that was, that was always the idea. And then to yeah, basically yeah. bring it down to about where, where the belt would be, you know? Um, and then just to really, and have the hands do, because remember it's called hold my beer. So it's all about holding, which is hands. And then of course about beer. And that was, Anyway, that's the thing. And of course, the, the fact that the drumsticks in it is uh, Mark Herdman um, is a drummer and it's his trio. So we had to get the drum reference in there, you know, somehow. Gotcha. I tell you what was actually, um, what I really liked about the the back of the of the album cover though, I mean, the shot where it's only the beer bottle. Um, I wanted to to basically make that bottle glow a little bit. So I, I lit it with a snoot um, and the speed light, in fact, um, from the back. So that was an interesting thing because it was it was really um, trying to get the angle right and then trying to aim it right so that it would just, uh, you know, illuminate the right part of the bottle. And it wasn't really, I didn't really want the bottle to like, you know, I didn't want like a light explosion going on there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to hit the bottle in a way that it just gives it a little bit of a glow and a little bit of three-dimensionality in it. Um, and that was, you know, I've, that was actually that's probably part of my that and using the fishing fishing line on the uh-huh. um, on the jacket and using the glycerine on the bottle. Those, those are my favorite parts of this. Love it. I just like fiddling around with stuff like that. You know, I feel food photography coming on. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, beverage photography is you know it's interesting. I mean, it's it's just interesting. I don't I'll know. I'll happily you know, I mean, do that if I can drink them afterwards. You know, for someone like me who um, really, you know, I, I mainly photograph people, um, you know, predominantly. So as a portrait photographer, um, I actually really enjoy uh, photographing things. Um, but I like to put a human into the scenario mm-hmm. or I like to um, almost like enhance the subject with some objects, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I totally. do enjoy uh, photographing objects. I just... Um, you know, I don't really enjoy that. I really don't enjoy like you know shooting him on their own that much. I mean, certainly not if I if I had to do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's awesome, you know, man. This, this make, makes makes yes. me want to do some um, product photography and uh, give that a bit of a go. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's a different. It's a different way of thinking. Um, it's a different. Yeah. Uh, and it's a different pace, you know, <clears throat> that's, um, that's the thing, um, for me, you know, I've, we've talked about this, you know, in, in the past, you know, when we, when we spoke with, uh, with Skylar Bird, for example, you know, um, doing the food photography and stuff, um, you know, it's a slower pace and it requires a lot of patience and it's very <sighs> different, um, 
from working with humans, you know, when you have a human in front of you. Yeah. Um, because the pace is different. Like I did a headshot session with, um, you know, a CEO the other day and that was a completely different pace. I mean, it was frantic, frantic as hell because, there, you know, you didn't have a lot of time. Um, there were uh, multiple locations within the building that we were in. Um, and it was literally, you know, racing around because there was a hard stop, you know, because she had a meeting um, that she had to get to and there was no, there was no flexibility, you know, she just wanted this location and that location and another location. Yeah. Um, I just have to make it work, you know, and you don't really have that much time to think. Yeah. You know, you just have to get on with it and do it. <laughs> so it's, you yeah. know, it's very, very different um, from shooting, you know, a product or something. Or like the Lego thing that we talked, that we talked about earlier, I have like the biggest respect to that because I, you know, the whole thing, what, what intrigued me about the story basically was that, that, you know, the, the whole, the whole image creation takes two days, one day of building the set and setting everything up and testing the lights and doing all of that stuff, which I love doing. And then another day of shooting the final image, you know, so there are, there are upsides to the whole product photography thing. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. It, but it definitely wants, uh, makes me want to, yeah, give it a go when I find some, frankly, find a little bit of time. Um, maybe in the <laughs> new year, I'm going to set myself a few little, mini little personal projects like that. Just have a, a fun and learn, learn some new skills, you know, that's, yeah, there's nothing more fun than learning, uh, learning, learning a new skill. So, uh, yeah, that's, I think that might be my January or February coming up. Definitely. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, I feel some more competitions coming on. <laughs> Well, yeah, we have some competitions in the pipeline. Anyway, so that's, you know, that is, uh, we've got yes, some, we we've got some incredibly busy couple of months um, at the moment. So once we're past that, then uh, then I think it's competition time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. But um, that was fun going through the, those couple of photos today. Um, I hope that, you know, it gives, you know, everyone a little bit of insight and as to, you know, how we made those and... Uh, more than anything gives people, uh, you know, some ideas of things that they can go and try, you know, that they may not Absolutely. have tried before. And like I say, learning, learning a new skill is, well, there's nothing more fun and you'll go and apply that to, to something else. Right. And it's the best way, um, of practicing and getting better is by basically, you know, taking something and, you know, in fact, recreating something like, you know, like when we were talking about your shot earlier, you said, you know, you've seen this. Um, you know, this, this style of imagery and then you decide to recreate it. And that's really, I think it's a great way of learning oh, is, yeah. is by Definitely. sort of, you know, backwards engineering an yeah. image. And I do that all the time. And I've always done that. Um, actually, in fact, whether it's photography or music or whatever it is, you, know, you listen to something, you kind of go, how is that done? You know, and the same thing, like we do this all the time when we watch movies, you know, we, we'd look yeah. at a scene, like a camera movie, and we'd be like, how did they do that? And then we start working. Okay. I'm pretty sure they had a crane here and I'm pretty sure I did this and this, it's probably CGI and blah, 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 you know? So it's uh, backwards engineering is, is an important part. And then also just experimentation. You know, if you see an image that you like, and it could be of a bottle, you know, or it could be a portrait or it could be whatever it is. Um, and you just go, well, I wonder how they've done that. And with some, you know, rational thought, you can probably do quite a large percentage of, of how something is done. And then the rest of it is just experimentation. Yeah. You know, you try something, doesn't work. Try something else, doesn't work. You try something, works halfway, and you go, huh, what did I do different to get that result? That's it. You know, 
Exactly that. Exactly that. And you'll start combining things that you've done in two different, three different projects, and yeah. you never know what you're going to come up with. You well, never know. Exactly. Exactly. And again, you know, we this. I think the best example that we've ever had and that we ever talked about to do with this um, on the show in the past is, has been, you know, car photography. Well, basically, um, you know, we at some point realized that, you know, really good car photography is basically landscape photography with a car in it. And when you start thinking about it like this, then your perspective changes completely because because the initial focus is not the car, it's actually the location. Mm-hmm. So you start, you know, because let's say when, you know, you get an opportunity to uh, to photograph a really cool car, like a Ferrari, for example, you know, like we have done. Um, it's very easy to fall into a trap and, you know, and thinking like, oh, we've got a Ferrari. I mean, that's going to look good anywhere. Let's just go and shoot that Ferrari. When really the thought process, you know, you're better off basically thinking, well, okay, do I know of a location that would really suit that car? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the better you get at, you know, your landscape photography or your like, you know, city photography or whatever it may be, um, the, or street photography, then, you know, putting the car in that is actually not that hard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so again, you know, you combine different skills, which is why it's so important to just try different things, you know, even yeah. if, even if you've never, um, if you've never shot products before, it might be a good way. You think know, think of it this way. If, if any of you out there play, play guitar, play piano, whatever it might be. What was, what did you learn first? You learned how to play covers, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I, I dare anyone to say that they didn't. <laughs> There's no way. I actually, I, here's, the, here's the thing though. I'll tell you a funny story. So when I first started playing a guitar, um, my dad brought home an electric guitar, I remember, and he had a book and I came with it. And one of the first things in the book was smoke in the water. Um, <laughs> and, but it was played over three strings. And so I sort of taught myself how to play that across three strings, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I learned how to do that, um, I knew an A chord. Okay. And then I basically, then the next chord I learned was something like E minor. And then I had a little notebook and I started writing songs in inverted commas songs. And it would literally be like, song one, A, E minor, repeat. And then I would learn a D chord and then it'd be like, song number two, D, A minor, uh, A. <sighs> E minor or something. And then song number three would be just a different combination of the same chords, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and as I'd make up little kind of riffs, you know, based on the few chords that I knew. And, and then eventually, you know, it got more complicated, obviously, but, See? but yeah, I mean, you can be creative, you know, right from the get go, I think. Yeah, totally. Totally. But that's, you know, that's why you learn, learn, learn covers against someone else's stuff because they've yeah. been through all the learning phase, <laughs> learn something they do, and then you'll, and try and understand why they are like they are. But in the early days, you don't do that. You just learn how to play it. And so, but then yeah. over time, it builds and builds and builds. Your knowledge base builds, and you start taking all those influences to make your own. Yeah, exactly. Song. I mean, you, did, you know, on, only the other day, only the other day, I learned a, I learned a cover tune, um, and uh, you know, I was learning the riff, and I'm, I said, "I'm learning about like He's doing what? <laughs> you know, yeah. learned a new thing. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. You know, even after how many years of playing guitar? I know the whole. 50? Three years that I've been playing guitar. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> Way too many years. Awesome. But yeah. So um, I hope you enjoyed our little, um, our little, I don't know, a photo critique uh, episode today. Um, where, you know, we're looking forward to to doing that um, on a regular basis. It'd be quite, that'd be quite fun. 
Um, we're also going to be introducing a new segment to the show entitled, What is Dave up to now? <laughs> but more about that next week. Anyway, we have come to the end of this week's episode, episode 83. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, remember, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, um, remember that you can hop over to YouTube where you can see our lovely faces in full Technicolor. And seeing that we've been talking about lots of photographs today, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, just go ahead, you know, sure. whilst you're there, hit the bell, you know, click a like, um, follow the channel, because that's important so people can find us. Um, and if you insist on listening to the audio version, Tommy in the car, then, you know, give us a little review, give us a uh, star rating. That would make all the difference. But not while you're driving. Not uh, Well, clearly not whilst you're driving, Tommy. Anyway, that being said, <laughs> that's episode 83. We'll see you again next week. <laughs> see you later.